0: To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Is oh, yeah. it that 200-inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's going on, guys? A uh, new episode of Eastman's Elevated. Uh, week's kind of gotten away from me. It's Friday here, but we're still getting out the podcast. Uh, just been crazy here with uh, hunting season and and work and, and just trying to balance everything, but uh, what a great hunting season. So so I am getting today's episode out. It is Friday, and it's coming your way. So today's episode is with Tyler Boshma. Um, I really like Tyler. I, I met him, and I've gotten to know him a little bit, and we keep in communication, and He's, uh, he's just a savage in the mountains and he's done some great adventures that we talk about on the podcast and then he's got some great ones coming up and, and he's just a, a like-minded hunter that just loves to go for it and push himself and, and uh, just a really good guy and I really enjoy uh, having a conversation with him and, and so you guys will enjoy today's episode. Uh, today's podcast is brought to you by Savage Arms. Um, savage is just building great rifles they just um there's no gimmicks they just build super accurate rifles right out of the box and i've got a couple buddies that are really into shooting and really into long-range shooting and and accuracy and they just tell me that savage is is building the the best rifles on the market you know out out of the box so um, make sure to check them out super accurate rifles um it's just building a great product so thanks to savage for sponsoring the podcast um Over there at Eastman's, I just uh, just checking in with everybody. We got uh, articles going out. I got a new project today. I'm gonna work on Um, uh, uh, the Eastman's Hunting Journal just came out. I had an article in there about October bulls. So all you guys looking to hunt bulls in October, uh, make sure to check that out and. And and once you know it, I I just got down my my October bull. So October is always good to me. It's kind of, you kind of get those, that last little bit of the rut and then go into post-rut. But I really like this time of year as all the pressure kind of laxes off as as everybody takes their time in September in the middle of the rut. And I love hunting the middle of that rut too, but October sure is good to me. But make sure to check that out. New Eastman's Hunting Journal. There's a good article in there about October bulls. The one before that, the bow hunting journal was advanced stalking. Really liked that one and, uh, got some more coming up and, and gosh, the guys at the office are just going for it. I know I talked to Scott Reekers and Brandon Mason. They had a good elk tag there in Wyoming, had a great hunt. They were into him and had some close calls. And I saw Dan Picard filled out on a, on a nice bowl and then, um, Looks like he was hunting deer in Montana. Uh, I got to give him a call and catch up to him. I got to get him back on the podcast again. He's just a great guest. So I've got to line that up. But yeah, I mean, everybody just going hard. I just, uh, you know, it's it's hectic during hunting season, but boy, I just love this time of year. Just so much fun. Um, so yeah, just got to continue to get good guests on here. My buddy uh, Ryan, uh, he, he filled out on a really nice bowl. I went over to look at it. It's this weird like seven by three got this giant spike on the other side but the seven side is so big and heavy so really happy for him he was able to get it done he's he's just one of my buddies i'm able to kind of share information with and and uh so I'm, I'm gonna have ryan on the podcast too so uh hopefully this weekend we'll get a chance to record one but um i've been talking long enough let's get this thing rolling uh tyler boshma eastman's elevated here we go i'm here with tyler boshma um tyler thanks for being on today yeah,
1: definitely. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so um I met Tyler um I met him on the most recent death hike where um we hiked nearly 40 miles. It was 38 miles in in 24 hours and uh I just had a really good time getting to know you. You had some great stories and some great hunts coming up. Um so man, that was really fun.
1: Yeah, definitely. It was a uh, it's always an adventure doing that that death hike, so
0: <laughs> yeah a, a bunch of miles and beautiful country i can't believe we didn't pick out a mule deer the whole hike
1: yeah it's kind of kind of one of those deals though When you got your you're you're kind of looking down at your feet and going as fast as you can you you don't see much
0: <laughs> oh it was a good pace we didn't slow down at all and you kind of looked at me with my binos and go, yep, I'm not bringing mine. You won't have a chance to look through them. And and you were right. You had done these in the past. Uh, You did last year's, which last year's sounded even more brutal than this year's.
1: Yeah, yeah. Last year, we we had quite a few people falling out. And actually, it was pretty funny. I think there was five or six of us were all that returned that did it last year. So that kind of goes to tell you you know just how gnarly it really was
0: (laughs) yeah well and you were one of the ones that climbed up out of the salmon river last year so you got done with about 35 or 38 miles or somewhere in there and then you had to climb 6,000 feet bushwhacking through the brush
1: yeah yeah I think the worst part about that was just the, you know the time of day we did it too is like the worst because the sun was you know just coming in that that drainage just right and yeah, it was hot, so...
0: <laughs> Man, that heat just zaps you, too, and we had really good conditions for the most part. It, it wasn't too hot on our hike. I mean, the temps got up there, and you were sweating good where you had to keep good moisture coming in, but it really didn't get too brutally hot on us. Yeah,
1: yeah, we had some nice nice points there where we got a little bit of a breeze and cooled you down.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Um, How'd you recover?
1: Good, good, good. Right back into the swing of things, and kind of knee, you know, just the one of those things i had you know i had that surgery this winter and you know i kind of felt that monday and tuesday but yeah right back to it rest of the week
0: man right on yeah man. i i felt great like i was stiff in the tracker right when we finished and i thought oh man i'm going to be sore i blew myself up you know towards the end i thought yeah the next couple days i'm going to be tender But by the time I drove my eight hours home, I wasn't even sore. And the next day, I mean, I could feel a little muscle fatigue, but I wasn't sore at all. I went for a run with my wife the next day.
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember you saying you were going to get out and get a run in.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I really felt good. Like, my endurance was good. I think the only regret I had is – so we got in. We were like – I think we were twenty miles, we were gonna camp at this lake and then hike out the next day and we decided to push on and, and uh you were one of the driving forces behind that and me too. I wanted to keep pushing and feel a little bit more pain.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was kinda I don't know if I just had that little mentality from last year or what, like this this hasn't quite been painful enough yet, so let's let's keep seeing how far we could push this and make it a little bit more uh We're a little bit more suck factor in there.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, so our plan was to go all night and make it out, and we did about six miles down through this drainage of obstacle course through swamp and willows, and we we had a trail, kind of.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was kind of like last year where we were, you know, you were just looking at stumps, and okay, that's been sawed off before, so we know that's a trail, but yeah, it's all overgrown, and you can't hardly – can't hardly see much of a trail.
0: (laughs) You'd you'd walk 100, 200 yards and then there'd be another obstacle where you're climbing over a tree or climbing under this or it seemed like it was just constant going down through there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We had the the wild man out front breaking brush for us. So that was kind of nice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. He was an animal. And so then we got down and we got down. We did about another six or seven miles. We were like 27 for the day. We got down in that creek and um, You know, uh, uh, a couple guys were feeling their IT bands and um, starting to get sore. And, you know, I was starting to stove up my legs. You know, I could feel the miles on me. And then four guys decided to push on throughout the night. And and me and you both decided, man, we're just going to bed it down, catch a little Z's, and then come out tomorrow. And I, I'm glad I did it. But I also – that was one of my regrets. Like to, to go out that night with a headlamp would have been pretty fun and pretty challenging. But – I can't afford to hurt myself, you know, especially when I've got scouting trips coming up and hunting trips and I knew my body could do it, but I was definitely going to be worse for the wear and worried about like maybe injuring my IT band or, or over pushing. Um, how did you feel at that point?
1: Yeah, I was kind of in the same boat. I mean, it was kind of maybe a little bit of a safety call like going out at night. And if we were going to, I didn't know what kind of trail we had in front of us, you know? So after coming off that bad trail, kind of took it out of me I just was like you know what I'm not gonna fight a jungle in the middle of the night you know so yeah after that I was ready to just bed down for the night and get some get some good sleep in so at least in the morning when I hit the road I wasn't you know, completely zapped, because I, you and I both had like eight or nine hour drives after that. So
0: well, and it ended yeah. up being the right choice. I was also a little stressed about navigation in the dark, um, because there there wasn't much of a trail coming down through there. And you come off one of those drainages down the wrong side, you could add twenty miles easy to your hike. You know, and just be down there bushwhacking all night long, half lost, and have to try to figure it out in the morning when the lights came on.
1: Yeah, yeah, that part was uh, definitely definitely a contributing factor.
0: Yep. Um so that was kinda on my mind too, and it was just kinda like a um I, I didn't want to over push it. If I was by myself I would have stopped and I didn't wanna like like keep pushing and, and push myself you know, to where I got an injury. So I mean, it all worked out. We came out the next day and got a good hike in the next day. And and so I'm glad I did that. But those four guys that led on and hiked all night, they made it out at about three in the morning or so. And that also sounded like fun. It sounded like they really pushed to their limits and and made it out. And, um, you know, either way, I think would have been a good time. And I also staying with the group and hanging out and doing another night in the woods. That was pretty cool, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's one of the neat parts about that hike, too, is just You know, getting to know people and getting to kind of hear their stories and, and, you know, know where they come from. Because, yeah, yeah, it's nice sitting on a trail and just be bopping down the way and talking and makes you not think so much about, you know, physically what you're feeling like.
0: Oh, it was so fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So, um, yeah, and so we got talking there. And so um, were you – you were in the military, right? And you talked about running a marathon in Afghanistan. That's pretty wild.
1: Yeah, so um, that was that was 2010, 11. That was my first trip to Afghanistan, and I actually had just come off a really brutal sheep hunt in Alaska. I ended up, long story short, I ended up flying out by myself and and uh, doing a solo sheep hunt, and I just I wore myself down physically and mentally like I've never done before, and and after that, yeah, kind of something clicked, and I, I knew I needed to start running and. And getting in better mountain shape so i started doing that and i i did it well. i was deployed and and then they had the boston marathon the actual boston marathon come to afghanistan they did a shadow shadow marathon and gave us authentic medals after we finished and everything so it's pretty cool to run a marathon and really the only marathon i've done has been in afghanistan so for it to be the the Boston's pretty neat
0: <laughs> oh man how cool uh like what were the temps when you were running in that thing
1: Oh, well, it wasn't bad. It was April and we started at two in the morning. Funny thing about it was too, is we started to a controlled debt. So, you know, they set off some kind kind of munition, you know, and loud boom and all that. And then we started running. So pretty unique to, you know, Boston Marathon, Afghanistan. So they probably don't get that there, you know, back in the States.
0: I would say. So do you have protection along the course as you ran and ran through the cities or how did, how did you guys do that?
1: Well, we're we're on a pretty big base. It was actually a base that the Russians used to have, and anyway, we. Uh, so yeah, you have walls all around you, fence at least in most parts, and and uh, yeah, other than the random, you know, kind of mortar, or mortar or whatever. Um, sometimes they rocket stuff. Usually it's rockets there, but other than that, yeah, it's pretty safe. So.
0: Oh, wild! So every once in a while they shoot mortars over the wall and try to hit the base in different places, huh?
1: Yeah, they're just taking pop shots though. So you <laughs> you don't have too much to worry about.
0: <laughs> like Hail Marys in there and just hoping they hit something.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're they're definitely not very accurate, so.
0: Okay. Um still a concern as you're running around that base though.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just one of those things once you're there, you you kind of just get used to it. I remember our first night there, you know, in country or whatever. We had an attack, a rocket attack, and a couple of rockets came in the perimeter, and you know, it's just like that first time. You're like, "Whoa, yeah, we're in country." And then after that, you just you kind of get used to them. And I don't know, some people almost get complacent and don't even like getting in the bunker when we do get rocket attacks.
0: Oh, wild! Um, Yeah, and so you talk about that sheep hunt. We talked about it a little bit on the hike. Um, So you you compared that to uh, the toughest things you've ever done in your entire life and so you were stationed in Alaska is that right
1: yep yeah i had uh I been there for a couple years at that point and I was a resident and and uh it was my last year as a resident there I orders new mexico and and so yeah it was do or die for me my one of my big things coming out of Alaska I knew I wanted a sheep and uh the year prior I had tried with my bow and there's a big corridor up north that you can kind of bow hunt them in and stuff. And it's not a lot of country, but it's pretty rugged country. And I, I'd hurt myself the year prior. And, uh, so I came back, came back this, this, my last year in Alaska with a vengeance. And, uh, I, you know, I flew in, I paid a pilot and they back then it was, it wasn't much. I think it's like 1800 bucks or something. And, you know, now I don't even think you can scratch that for around three grand even, but yeah, so and I picked a drainage, talked to a couple buddies that killed sheep, and I picked a drainage and uh, and flew in there. I actually had planned on going with another guy, but because of weather and uh, and all that, he didn't end up making it out. So essentially, what happens once I got to the you know the airstrip, if you want to call it that, it was kind of a riverbed that had you know been cleared, kind of the brush on the edges been cleared enough where a Super Cub could get in there. And uh, anyway, when I got in there, I, I hung out for a day, kind of waited for my buddy, realized that the weather was not going to break. And and so I started backpacking to where I thought sheep were. <laughs> and uh, I had a sap phone and, and all that. So if anything did go south, I could at least, you know, call the pilot, get some help and whatnot. But, yeah, so I, I backpacked a ways and, you know, had my whole camp on my back. And back then I had one of those external frame. You know, they're called the Barneys Packs of Alaska. They're just a, a really beefy pack and not much to them, just a, just a giant bag on a frame. And anyway, yeah, I had that and backpacked in a ways and found my sheep. And and uh, I think I found it, like, it was 10 in the morning. And when I finally shot him, I mean, it was not dark because it doesn't really get dark there, but it was real, real hazy. So I think it was rallying around 9 o'clock, 9 or 10 And, uh, so yeah, it was a 12 hour stock, a couple miles and a river crossing and, and whatnot, which, you know, that was a whole nother learning experience for me too. So
0: (laughs) man, what an adventure. So you fly in there, expect that your buddy's going to come in and then the weather kind of came in and he never showed up. And so all of a sudden you've been preparing for this hunt with a buddy back in there and now all of a sudden you're thrown into a solo hunt.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was a wild year. I think, um. For for bush pilots across Alaska that that whole month, um, well that was the month that Ted Stevens, the senator from up there, died, and he I guess he flew into a mountain, and yeah it was just a, it was a wild year, so we had some crazy weather, and and that's what kind of grounded my buddy once once my pilot got out he I mean I, I literally watched him fly off into the clouds, and you know they're just flying through they don't have any instrumentation they don't know you know what's really in front of them when they do that so he just was kind of flying by flying by hope at that point until he he got a little bit of breaking weather but yeah so he just landed and stayed parked for like the next three days i mean that the weather is why i got my sheep though funny thing about that whole story was after i crossed that river uh that sheep was bedded in this gnarly gnarly like really rock shelly country and uh there was no way to get at him from above and definitely weren't going to, you know, come waltzing up the bottom of the mountain right up to him, so I came in from, I did a big circle and came in from, basically paralleled him on the ridge, got on the same elevation in the shell, and then just kind of walked over each ridge towards him, and I'd wait until a big blanket of fog would roll in, and then I'd I'd kind of make my move, and then it would lift for a bit, and he'd be sitting out on his perch just chilling, and uh, kind of lording over everything, and and then uh, another sheet of fog would roll in. I'd I'd move a little bit further and basically did that until I got within 300 yards, and and then I I shot him, and then he tumbled about a couple hundred yards down that shell.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So that's... So that's everybody's dream uh, in Alaska is to be able to become a resident and then hunt sheep. But even once you get there or once you decide you're going to do that, like it's one of the toughest hunts out there. And there's a lot of guys gunning for those legal sheep. So you don't just fly into some spot and there's sheep everywhere all the way around you. Like you have to go for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I think at that point I was 12 and a half miles away from the airstrip. I think pretty notorious for me to just put my head down and let the gps track me but I, I really wasn't paying attention and and uh so yeah i mean once i got that sheep down that was my kind of eye opener as to um what a brutal packout was going to be <laughs> up to that point in my life i would killed a few moose and caribou but i'd never had a you know a long pack out and tested my endurance so yeah after that i I definitely got a kind of a wake-up call.
0: Oh, man. Those things will bring the pain, especially when you get that many miles back. And then, you know, you you probably had done some backpacking, but um, it seems like uh, the longer you backpack, the lighter your pack gets, the more of a minimalist you become. So, in the early days, I would always pack more weight than I had to. Was that the case with you?
1: Oh, oh definitely. Yeah, I had... <laughs>
0: had the kitchen sink? <laughs> yeah, I had
1: a ton of stuff that... You know, I kind of look back now. I don't carry a pistol even in bear, bear country. I carry just spray. And back then, I had I had spray. I had pistol. I mean, I had pillow. Uh, <laughs> not a big pillow, but I still had a pillow and just like everything. Like I, I look back. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy how much that's evolved too.
0: Yeah, so you had a a big pack and camp to begin with, and then you get down a sheep, which had to be awesome. And that sheep that you killed, I saw a picture of it you showed me. I mean, that wasn't just a a legal ram. That thing is a beautiful ram. He curls way past full curl. Uh, It looks like a curl and a quarter or so um, upwards towards the nose, but just a a beautiful doll sheep. I mean, great representation of what we all want to kill up there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I couldn't ask for a better first and only doll sheep, so...
0: Yeah, was he solo? He,
1: yeah, yeah, he was by himself. There was a bunch of uh, lambs and ewes down the hill from him, just, you know, they kind of separate and don't hang out. But, yeah, he was by himself, just chilling on this little ledge and, yeah, kind of lording over the whole area.
0: Man, and he, so. he still had his lamb tips, too. He wasn't broomed off at all, and so he was super long as he comes around.
1: Yeah, that's that's incredible, too, in that, that area... That that part of Alaska is just known not to have sheep with their lamb tips. So, you know, that that part kind of was icing on the cake.
0: <laughs> oh man, and so then you had one of the most brutal packouts you'd ever had. You had your camp, probably boned out the sheep.
1: Yeah, I'd boned it out. Um you know, I hadn't caped out a ton of animals at that point and so I caped it out and I had probably way too much neck in there. And then of course those those big heavy horns and his head and everything else and um. Yeah, and then all that boned-out meat. So I still don't know today what it was. I mean, you could sit there and throw numbers at it, but I know it was over 100 pounds. Easy.
0: Yep. I should really weigh some of my packs when I come out with my full camp and my mule deer because I know – they're north of a hundred, and probably closer to one twenty on some of those packouts, and I'm sure yours was too. Um, are their uh, horns pretty heavy? Like I know I pick up a bighorn sheep, and those things have some weight to them. Do those dolls have weight to their horns as well?
1: Not quite like a bighorn. They're they're you know the fanning sheep is going to be a little bit smaller at the bases and stuff, and um,
0: they're still pretty yeah, heavy there's... though, right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, they're still pretty hefty i mean it's it's probably more than a, definitely more than a mule deer, you know, an average buck or whatever, yeah,
0: it has to be like um twenty five pounds or so, you think,
1: yeah, I'd say pretty easy I so, can throw it's
0: that so at it. it's so tough to judge weight, isn't it,
1: <laughs> yeah, especially when you're just kinda you know you're in it and you're you're not really want to think about the weight. I think that's a huge thing for me is I don't think about it,
0: <laughs> oh, I know it. Yep, yeah, get it on your back and get trucking, get thinking about something else. Um yeah, I, I like to ski poles are so nice for pack outs. Those things are worth like and and I like Ski poles, they help you with your endurance so much for getting into country and then getting an animal out, and they help you because you don't stumble, you don't fall, you can rest on them, you can use them to propel you uphill, you can use them downhill as kind of a braking lever, and so they really are a huge asset in mountain hunting, but – I don't like the noise they make once I get up there, and so, you know, I always got to put them away, and if I got a buddy with poles, you know, once you get into country where there are deer, sheep, or whatever you're hunting, you got to put them away, but those ski poles really help.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that was my my first real mountain hunt, and I had ski poles, and I learned, too, real quick just how awesome they are, especially the external frame pack. I would just tuck those handles up above my shoulders and lean over because, and you know take a little break after three or four steps cuz I was not going to take that pack off there'd been I was at the point towards the end I wouldn't have got it back on
0: oh man i hear you there i did a really tough pack out in colorado 2015 where i had to bring a deer out by myself and those deer there have big bodies and and plus my camp. And you know, I I should have taken two trips, but I, I thought, well, I'll get them to the top of the hill so I don't got to dive back in the hole. And then I'll drop them there. And then I'd get to the top of the hill and I'd go, well, now it's all downhill. I got to carry them to the bottom. And I'd get to the bottom and then I'd go, well, it's just one climb and then I'm at the top and I can hang it there. And so I did that like three or four times and I just ended up carrying it out. And I love to sit down and take the weight off, but it was so heavy, like towards the end, it almost got dangerous to try to stand back up and my legs were so fatigued i could hardly get back up on my feet and so then i couldn't take any breaks like you're saying because i was scared i couldn't get the weight back up that i'd have to ditch everything and come back for it
1: yeah it's like it's that point too where you're like once you get on the flat ground you're towards the end you kind of wish you're on some kind of incline again because at least when you do take those little sit down breaks it's easier to get back up on an incline than it is when you're down in the flat country
0: oh you're right It's sitting on a hill where then it's not that hard to get back up yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, man, I've been on some brutal ones that hurt, but it seems like you always get out and, and uh you know, I actually met a guy up Muley hunting in this gnarly range in Montana and he killed um like this non typical buck in this range that we were in and it's known for, for big bucks and uh he killed it. He told me where he killed it and it was in just this gnarly spot. And he actually took a spill and hurt himself on that. Um, I don't think he broke anything, but he tore himself up pretty good on the rocks. And I I don't, I can't remember exactly what his injury is. It's been quite a few years since he told me the story, but he had to leave the deer, the meat, the antlers, everything, and just get himself out of there and, and then come back for it. But I can see how it could happen. I mean, um, you know, when you get hurt in the mountains, it's probably not going to be a grizzly bear or rattlesnake. It's probably going to be fallen. And for me, it's going to be fallen with weight on taking too heavy of a pack. Like, man, I just got to start taking two loads. Like I, I've got endurance in me and I train for that. Like I just got to take two pound loads or, you know, instead of trying to take that one heavy one, man, I got, I got to just change my ways a little bit.
1: Totally. Totally. It's all about trying to make your body last a little longer
0: yeah well and and coming out with 60-70 pounds just isn't going to be that bad and then you know even if it takes another day hang up the meat it's fine in the woods you know hang it up get some air around it make it out sleep that night come back in the next day Um, you know you're going to feel better and you're going to extend your adventure you're going to get to go back in and get them again Uh, it's just a safer way to go like I just really got to change my mindset or I I am going to end up hurting myself in the hills trying to carry those hundred plus packs out
1: yeah yeah it's it's kind of one of those things matter of time almost
0: it really is in that in that steep gnarly country i hate like coming out on a trail and you got all that weight and those loose rocks on that trail where it feels like you're walking on marbles <laughs> that's yeah. the worst isn't it
1: yeah yeah that that country can definitely uh, sneak up on you too it's it's one of those things those rocks and i mean if it ain't that it's you know you you, you always seeming to cross in rivers or whatever something's always there to kind of put you in check
0: yeah so you said that river crossing got a little sketchy huh it was really flowing
1: yeah yeah i mean it's pretty typical glacier river up there and i just i don't know like i was not a woodsman i i didn't really uh you know put much thought into it and i thought man i got my pack i can you know drop trowel real quick and throw my pants in there and in my pack and uh Got my trekking poles, and it doesn't look that bad. and Yeah, it got pretty dicey. I mean, I was at that point, especially being by myself, that, uh, you know, if I would have slipped when the river rocks, you know, moved or, you know, whatever, I would have been in real bad shape.
0: Man, you really got to pick the best ways to cross streams. I I do a ton of fish wading while I'm fishing in rivers around Montana and then also out on the Olympic Peninsula. And out on the Olympic Peninsula, the farthest northwest corner of Washington there. But those are coastal rivers, glacial fed, and it's usually like that coldest temp, that wet 34 degrees and pouring down rain all the time all day long and and we're constantly waiting in those rivers and then we're constantly trying to cross them but when you're crossing those things it's all about finding a good spot and i like to cross like my favorite spots are like a tail out at the end of a run before it drops back off again. It gets slow right in there and you can go across, but every river is different. And I'm sure when you're in Alaska, those glacial fed rivers, um, there isn't much tail out up there. It's all flow going for it. So it was probably pretty good current.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely had a – it was moving along
0: yeah those walking sticks help you when you're crossing, but I always like to quarter downstream so I'm walking kind of downstream um quartered and then I like to keep my feet moving and i I like to just find balance there and try to try to get across that way and I haven't taken a swim in a long time um but about ten years ago I was fishing and i I was fishing with these buddies, and um one of my buddies, gosh, she has to be six four or six five and i I said five, seven, you know, maybe. (laughs) And so I, um, so we were crossing this spot in this river and it got deep and I saw he got to the very, you know, he got to the top of his waders, but he's going over to the good spot to fish. How can I not go? We're buddies and we're fishing together and always pushing the limits. And so, um, I crossed after him and I crossed and I mean, it went to the tippy top of my waders and just barely found my way across and got across. But then on the other side, you know, trying to cross back across and find that exact point, I started crossing and and sure enough, I went over my waders and pretty soon the water's up to my neck and I'm swimming. I'm no longer waiting, and just had to grab my rod and swim for the shore. So everybody got a pretty good laugh out of that. (laughs) (laughs) So it it happens, but you get good at reading water and feeling current and you – you know, you kind of test your boundaries, especially in the summertime. You know, you can test what you can do. Um, but but in, in bad and tough conditions, you really got to play it smart and be safe in those. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, you got some good tags coming up. So, um, one of the hunts that I was most interested in, like, that you've done a couple times already, is you've gone to Kodiak and hunted blacktails during the rut.
1: Yeah, so... Uh, well, I lived in Alaska. That was kind of one of my little fun trips I did. Um, I mean, Kodiak's just an amazing place. Just a you know really neat island and um, pretty neat history too. How we ended up getting everything, but yeah. So I I went two trips before. Uh, both of those trips were in November, and then this year we're going in August actually. And uh, so that'll be my first time going in that kind of that early summer mode where. You know, the bears are still down in the, the lower rivers and feeding on sand. And so that should make it a little bit more of a mellow trip, I would think. I'm trying not to go into it too of daisy, but yeah, it should just be a fun trip and get to see those bucks when they're bright, bright red and sticking out in that green, you know, that green landscape just, you know, kind of gets gets me excited for the whole hunting season.
0: Man, I'd say, so they'll have red coats like a mule deer would. And is that what you're talking about in that early season?
1: Yeah, yeah, in the early season they'll be they'll be pretty red, and um, as long as you catch them out in the open, yeah, they're they're pretty pretty obvious where they're at.
0: Man, and so you can get like up upwards a three tags, and you guys are all gonna have two apiece, is that right?
1: Yeah, we're all taking two. I think one guy might end up buying three. He's got a boom stick, but uh, two of us coming from Oregon here, we, we'll have bow tags and or at least bows. I mean, it's a bow or rifle, but yeah, we'll have, we'll have two tags apiece and, and, uh, yeah, so should be fun. I mean, it's just an adventure, you know, it's one of those trips that you you get to see country that really a lot of people don't ever, you know, their whole lives, you know, don't, don't go check out and, and, you know, just the experience they're flying in a, you know, a float plane and landing on the ocean and then hiking up through these nasty alders into this big giant country that's, you know, green as all get out. And, um, and then spot and stock and deer with the bow. Hard yeah. to beat it.
0: Oh, dude, you can't beat it, man. That is so awesome. Um, yeah, Kodiak looks like such a cool place too. It looks fairly open. So the spot and stock game ought to be really fun using ridge lines and contours of the land and, and you're not hunting the rut. Like the other two times you've hunted it have been in November, probably nasty weather where this time you're going to get pretty good weather. Is it, uh, is it in September Are the bugs going to be bad?
1: The bugs will probably be bad, and the weather isn't. You can't really write off the weather ever on Kodiak. You know that's definitely something that, even in August, that can kind of sneak up on you in a hurry. So, I'll have my Hillenburg E Nan, and then, I don't. As far as shelter goes, I'll have that, and then, you know, I'll have rain bags for about everything. So,
0: oh, that's yeah, right.
1: I'll be, I'll be expecting plenty of rain.
0: Yeah, that's right. It is Alaska, huh? And it is on the coast. So, yeah, it could get it could be gnarly for the whole trip and rain the whole trip on you.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it could be one of those trips that you just go up there and you hang out with the uh the pilots there at the uh the floatplane lodge and You just look outside and go, oh, not today.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, I played that game. But like you say, it's part of the adventure, and what a great adventure. You're going with a couple buddies. You guys are going to fly out there. And the cool thing is is you have experience from being out there before, and so you've got a neat spot picked out where you're going to go – um the bucks are going to be acting a little bit different like you say red coats going to be almost like a like a high country mule deer only it's a high country blacktail and so you'll probably have to get pretty high up in there don't you think
1: Yeah so that's kind of why I wanted to do it was you know to somewhat simulate that the high country hunting uh that I've come to like and and funny thing about it was and you and I've talked about this a little I we set this trip up and then I go and draw an awesome tag in Nevada which is also the same exact dates and it's in the high country so i almost you know hindsight is like dang i I should have set this up for next year but yeah it'll be fun
0: yeah so you're going to do those back to back you actually ended up moving back your blacktail hunt so you could fit in this nevada high country mule deer hunt
1: well jerry's still out on that we're kind of like last minute planning and and it's just the just to change the tickets cost so dang much i might just end up taking the, the week off for for Alaska and then getting off the plane, jumping in my truck, stopping by the house and grabbing a box that I already had pre-packaged for Nevada and then rolling out the door and not even really kiss my wife and you know kiss my little baby and, and then hit the road again.
0: <laughs> it sounds like hunting season. <laughs> yeah, so
1: I'm getting it all in in August and then actually the funny thing is September and October will be kind of mellow for me.
0: Okay. Um, when you're hunting a spot in Nevada that I drew... 10 years ago and so that actually that was the first time that we talked is um, you touch bases with me and asked me if I had any experience in there and I said yeah and so um, I think we got you a pretty good game plan in there the last time I hunted it I killed a 201 in there and so there's some giant bucks in there really fun high country and so I kind of passed on everything I had learned about the unit to you so and and with your scouting it seemed to line up with where you were going to go anyway so you're probably not even going to use any of my information but I think it gives you confidence Confidence and we got you a really good plan to go in there and, and hunt some big bucks.
1: Oh, yeah. It definitely makes me feel a lot more confident. And, yeah, someone like you has already been in there and killed a giant buck. And, yeah, it just makes me feel that much better about getting in there and hunting hard.
0: Yeah, and I still think those later dates are going to be good. Like you have a – there's a muzzleloader season that opens, but there's not too many tags for that. Um, a lot of the elk guys are down low, you know, I, I really think you'll have it all to yourself and we got you a couple backup plans and we should probably talk one more time before your hunt goes just so I can, you know, there's a couple other points that you could make it to, to, um, kind of North of there and stuff that I should probably let you know on to, um, we should probably just do one more conversation on it just to make sure you're absolutely dialed definitely yep sure yeah way cool man you got a good season coming up so um not going to change your flights you're going to go do black tails you guys are going to go get some of those bow only which is really cool then jump in and you'll be bow only in nevada looking for that good buck and that's a great tag i've been trying to draw it ever since and and haven't got it but man do they have some big genetics in there
1: yeah yeah i look forward to especially with the you know the the kind of the winter we had and now they got tons of feed and yeah, it should just be be an awesome year.
0: Oh yeah, and so um, so you got that. So and then you also were you stationed in New Mexico or were you just living there for work?
1: No, no, I was stationed there. That's actually where I I got out of the military from, and and kind of worked there a little bit after after the military. I worked in a, a coal power plant, and uh, but yeah, yeah, that's where I kind of chipped my teeth on elk hunting. Up to that point in my life, I think I was. 26 before I even elk hunted and uh then I got stationed in New Mexico so I kind of shifted gears and and uh, adapted and went from Alaska where you could you could just go to the you know sports warehouse buy your hunting license and then get your sheep tag and your caribou tags and your moose tag free you oh, know I went from wild. that to New Mexico where I had to draw a tag to even go hunting so now my first year in New Mexico was pretty rough I uh, I didn't I didn't draw any tags didn't didn't you know I didn't really learn the system as well as I should have and uh, between that and the deployment I just wasn't really getting my head into it and then the next year I just, I was like you know what you got to learn this draw system and I put in for some premium tags and then I put in for some non-premium tags as like third choices and stuff but I ended up drawing my first choice and it was the state's arguably the state's best um, archery elk tag second season and uh i was in, down there in the Gila's, and shortly after i found out i drew it i got orders go back to afghanistan
0: <laughs> oh no so
1: that was the tag that was the tag that would have been my first elk hunt and the you know one of the probably the best you know tags in the country and uh and i ended up giving it away i ended up tra- transferring it to a high school buddy's dad back in idaho and and uh he ended up killing a pretty nice bull like a 330 bull on it but uh yeah, so I didn't get to chip in my teeth on what would have been probably the best elk hunt of my life, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I bet you were thinking about it as you were stationed, but but oh. duty called and you had to go.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean it was hindsight was a good thing, you know. I, I you know I, it just didn't fit my personality to just go out and you know have an easy hunt. So the next year I drew a a pretty tough tag to as far as hunting goes. It's pretty easy to draw. And uh, yeah, and that's where I learned how to elk hunt. I, I backpacked in; it was like six and a half miles to where I could even start hunting. And uh, yeah, experienced experienced hunting the backcountry in New Mexico, where I was I went from having tons of water in Alaska and, and went to New Mexico, where I had to learn how to filter out of like little cattle ponds that were full of mud and you know, cow poop. So. <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, I've got some water out of some pretty nasty spots too. Um, and, and even if you're pumping it or filtering it or um, you know, you you you're cleaning it, you know, through pouring it through shirts or whatever, you can always taste the nastiness in it, can't oh, you?
1: Oh, it never leaves it. Just the, <laughs> you smell it as it going down. I mean, everything. Then it just, I swear, I threw away all them bladders
0: from
1: <laughs> New Mexico. They, I don't, I don't have any of them left.
0: But oh, that's it funny. just
1: makes them permanently stink
0: <laughs> Oh man Well I keep trying to apply And get that uh, Ibex hunt down there I really want to hunt that thing in that late January But I've heard that there's a bunch of snakes And I also apply for a bunch of elk tags Down in New Mexico I've never drawn one I've hunted deer down there a couple times um, but, but that country down there, you know, and I hunt Arizona too. I don't see many snakes down there. I see some here in Montana where I hunt and I've definitely ran into rattlesnake heavy country. Um, but you guys got some snakes down there in New Mexico, huh?
1: Oh dude, that, um, so that Ibex hunt, I had that tag. I, I don't remember the year. I think it was maybe thirteen, two thousand thirteen. 2013, but anyway, I met that, you know, Zach Griffith and, you know, he was out there or whatever but yeah the rattlesnakes are just gnarly out there like every you just can't get away from them like you're pretty much committing to walking around there and you're gonna walk over a few and if that you know if that bugs you i think that's what chases more guys off that mountain is the rattlesnakes than anything else
0: wow um even in that january season too there's um, thick that season huh
1: I had the October season.
0: Okay, I've heard they're really bad in the October season, but I hear you still see them in January, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess they're out there. I haven't been there in January, but, yeah, when I was there in October, and I mean, it was, it was still getting pretty cold. I mean, at night, you're out there, you know, typical desert country, you know, super, super hot in the daytime, and then gets down pretty cold at night
0: yeah so that country's just thick of them huh and that start it starts messing with your head a little bit I guess maybe you get more comfortable the more you're around them but at least for me it messes with me a little bit and I don't let it I don't let the fear control me like I, you gotta just hunt around them you pay attention to your feet pay attention to where you're walking and where they're at but you start seeing a couple of them and I've got into like this ridge this one time coming out at night um, where you know I'd hear one rattle on the ridge and then I'd hear four or five six of them that would go off from that one rattling where you just know they're all around you and your headlamps going dull and you're just you're just staring at your feet you know hoping you're not going to step on one of those things which would be horrible in the backcountry
1: so one of my elk hunts in new mexico actually did step on one and I, i mean square on its head wow it was just kind of cruising along and i don't even think it really i mean it was sometimes i get them and i I run into them and they're just chill and they don't really care. And that was one of those ones that's chill. And I actually make it a point not to kill them. I, uh, you know, I, I'm the, I don't go around killing every rattlesnake. And I got kind of a given a hard time on last year's death hike. Cause I was bumping along a trail, dropping into the salmon river. And, uh, and, uh, I darn near stepped on one there. And, uh, I just kind of grabbed my trekking poles and threw it off the trail or at least what I thought was threw it off the trail. And then, Lo and behold, you know, a couple hundred yards up the trail zigzagged back and went right towards where I threw that (laughs) rattlesnake.
0: I, you know, I don't, I don't kill everyone I see either. Like I, I don't know. I just got this weird thing when I, when I'm in the woods. Like I, I don't kill the first animal I see, and like I'm trying to enjoy the whole experience. And I don't know that I quite buy into karma, but. I kind of do. Like, I don't need to kill everything I run into or kill them because of fear. Like, I I do the same thing. I I just I don't kill everyone I run into. You know, I I don't even some of my buddies do, but I I just kind of move them off the trail. And I I feel like um, I don't, I don't know why, but I feel like maybe that's why I haven't been bitten, even though I know that that's not the case or the reason why. But I just don't need to kill everything I see. Or I, you know, I don't know what it is. What's your mindset on them?
1: I don't know. I think it's just. I, I don't know maybe for me it's part partly being in the military and I just you know I I love to hunt and I you know at the end of the day we're, we're killing animals but it's just different like we're not out there just killing everything so yeah I mean I I have a soft side and you know just like today at work I was trying to get a hummingbird out of the out of the bay so it wouldn't die
0: (laughs) good for Um, you yeah i just um i just don't need to kill everyone i see and it's not like they're menacing and they're looking to bite you wherever they are a lot of times they're just minding their own business but you were actually telling me in new mexico that they can get fairly aggressive down there
1: yeah it's the ones out on the plains like the the plain country i think i think they call them like a prairie rattler i'm not real sure but someone probably correct me but yeah i've had them actually um my first elk hunt in there. I had a buddy and, uh, right after we shot my bull, we were listening to all these elk bugle and all through this Canyon. It was just one of those moments where it's like, man, this is cool. This is why we do it. And, uh, it was his first ever real hunt. You know, I was kind of, he's from California, joined the air force and he wanted to want to do a hunt. So I kind of broke him in, in the back country. And anyway, he was standing on this stump and, uh, we're listening to these elk people, and I, I kind of hear this faint little rattling, and I'm like, "Man, that's not right." And I look, I glance over, kind of towards him where I hear it coming from, and this rattler is coming up the stump towards him, like aggressively pursuing him, and you know, quite possibly was going to bite him. So I, I pushed him off the stump, and you know, and then we see it, and it's it comes up on that stump, and it's like looking around, looking real aggressive, and you know, and and we both were just like, "Wow, that that could have went you know south in a hurry, especially." You know, we got an elk down, and and you know, if you would have got bit back here, it just yeah, it would have been bad in a hurry. So, oh
0: man, yeah. yeah. Well, and I hear those things are some of the worst pain to get bit by one of those things. And you've got time. Like none of those snake kits work. You were actually saying um, you actually have some medical training, and you were actually saying that that um, you could you could wrap up and stop the blood flow from getting to your heart, isn't that right? But you got to be really careful with that.
1: Yeah, you want to do they say you I mean there's not really much anything you can do I mean you know get get professional medical help and that's kind of you know there's a lot of rumors out there other things and nothing has been you know really proven but
0: you don't suck the poison out (laughs) not at all (laughs) Um,
1: yeah one of the things they say is just a little bit of light venous you know not really applying a tourniquet and hammering on it to where you're 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 stopping you know arteries and stuff like that but you know, just a light venus. If you could stop that flow, that might help slow down the, you know, the the venom from getting everywhere. So.
0: Oh man, well, uh, one of the spots I Elkhunt that I drew this year. It's full of rattlesnakes. You're always seeing skins, and and every year you run into a couple of them. But it's kind of like hunting in grizzly bear country that I hunt in. Like, um, you see sign of them, and and every year you see one or two, but they're just not behind every tree or behind every bush. It seems like you cover a lot of miles where they're not. You'll see skins, you'll see things, and then and then all of a sudden you'll bump into them. And sometimes you get in some thick areas where where you find more of them. But for the for the most part, they're not everywhere.
1: Yeah, and actually, you know, as us being conservationists, um, there actually there are some subspecies of rattlesnake that are going endangered. So that's probably another reason why I don't just go around axe murder style every time I see one. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, and you're you know you're most likely not going to eat it. You're not going to take anything from it, and it's just kind of taking from the ecosystem without giving anything back. And um, exactly, you know, it's it's almost like a. Like a like a bad karma deal for me, right? You know, and I don't believe in karma, but I kind of do. Like if you go around killing ten of those rattlesnakes and then you get bit by one, it's like, well, I guess I had that coming. Or that's almost how I feel with them, you know. And, that's
1: what you get. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, and it and it isn't that way. And you know, if they're. You know, we've, we, uh, somebody just killed one here in my neighborhood and we've got a few of them around here and yeah, if I had one around the house, I got dogs, I got kids, that thing probably isn't going to be living around my house, you know, uh, eating mice that are coming out from, from out from under. So I may take care of one of those or something, but yeah, for the most part, I run into them and, and don't kill them. And I, I run into them, um, like the run I took today before we did the podcast, um, I just got permission below my house, and it's kind of like prairie land, but it's kind of coolies where you can run up and down these coolies, and you kind of look at the Madison Range, these giant mountains, and so it's a really fun run for me, and I always like when you can just run from your house because it saves time from driving to and from a trail, and I love trail running but you know, I save that for weekends or evenings where I have more time or maybe where I'm out working, but it's so nice to have a spot right by my house that I can always go run. And so that's what I did tonight. I had about an hour and went down and ran. But um last year I about stepped on a snake down in there. So there's quite a few rattlesnakes down in there and you know, I'd I'd be lying if I didn't say it was on my mind as I'm running down through there. I'm I'm constantly kind of surveying the grass in front of me and the landscape in front of me to make sure I don't step on one of those things. Yeah,
1: yeah, you you definitely live in some pretty awesome country. I know that uh that's pretty close to where my family's from and and I know those uh those rattlesnakes, they they can be notorious down there.
0: Oh, that's right. Um yeah, you've got that family ranch up here that you actually come up and hunt quite a bit too, right?
1: Yeah, not I, I didn't start hunting until recently. I mean, I moved to Oregon so it was a little bit closer and when I was down in New Mexico, I, I think I only hunted at once and you know, my focus Back then I just wanted, you know, I wanted backcountry hunts and that's it. And now that I'm married and my wife hunts, it's it's just a awesome hunt for us to do. We I get to hang out with family and now that you know my grandparents have a great grandbaby, they get to hang out with him and and uh we just we just get to enjoy each other. So it's it's just a fun trip all the way around and icing on the you know, cake is we kill some pretty nice bucks down there.
0: Oh, I'd say you guys got some nice bucks. Well and um you came up with with Travis uh Whitney last year man he killed a heck of a whitetail that was on your place yes. wasn't it
1: yeah typical in style he comes in it was literally the first morning he hunted and he shot uh, there was two bucks kind of like that but probably the biggest daylight buck we had seen and had pictures of he, shot. <laughs> like, like, he went in my favorite stand and uh he shot that buck and then Afterwards, he had nothing but bad things to say about how I hung the stand and <laughs> <laughs> That
0: that guy yeah. just exudes luck, doesn't he? I mean, he's a really good hunter and talented hunter and, and he yeah. really gets it done on on quality animals and puts in the work, but but he does also have a lucky streak.
1: Oh, he's a he's a tough dude and I think it's just one of those things that comes with, you know, being able to grind out some of those hunts and sometimes you just you just flat out get lucky and I, I, I I think luck is definitely part of what we do. I mean, you know, not every day a buck's going to sit on the same ridge, but if you're lucky enough to be, you know, glassing that ridge when he does, you know, maybe it's because you put in three or four or five days doing the same thing, or if it was one day, you know, sometimes you just get lucky
0: yeah you're so right it's putting yourself in the right position day after day and and then it's taking advantage of an opportunity that presents itself and we've all screwed up opportunities and Travis is a stone cold killer so yeah when a giant white when a giant whitetail walks by him um, he's probably not going to miss that thing you know and so he's gonna he's gonna collect on that luck and and like you say he's he's had hunts where he's gone to the very end day after day after day and and so you got to take advantage of the easy ones with the tough ones too but yeah he's just a really good hunter and you're right you do create your own luck
1: yeah and i think him and i talked a bunch as we we spent a lot of time in the truck before then just talking and the guy is like there's a reason why he kills the bucks he does and i mean he's he's so good at reading landscapes and and that's kind of why i was jokingly saying he's making fun of me on my stand because i afterwards i've moved the stand but just the position where the deer moved through there it wasn't ideal for you know getting a good shot and he just he knows ch- choke points because of his trapping days and i mean he's just he's got it like it's just second nature to him so yeah i mean he's put in his time so now things just look easy or look lucky
0: <laughs> yeah it makes it look lucky when it's when it's really years of experience and hard work and and you know collecting data and then making sense of all that data too so no you're right he he is just a he's a really good hunter
1: Yes, he is. Yeah, but
0: that was a heck of a whitetail, and lucky to get him on the first day. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, and then he went right back to elk hunting, so.
0: Yeah, good for him. Well, yeah, it uh, sounds like a really cool place you got there, and I always like it when you can combo and include the family in, like you say, bring them over, see the grandparents, and then and then you get to hunt a little bit. Did, were you uh, lucky enough to draw a tag out here this year?
1: Yeah, yeah, um, my third year in a row being able to get a tag, and same thing with the wife, so. We'll, uh, we'll probably be out there in October though a little bit later this year and try to combine it with some I get a federal holiday in October so I don't have to take so much time off but yeah
0: oh man right on good for you guys
1: oh that's uh you mentioned the, the hunting with family and trying to you know get two birds with one stone and isn't that kind of what you just did in uh, in uh, Hawaii?
0: Oh, it is. Yeah, what a great family vacation! And yeah, my my family and and wife is just so supportive. And and yeah, it was just one of those deals that I really wanted to hunt Hawaii, but there was no way I could go without my family. So yeah, we we all went over there, and um, they let me get out for a handful of days and go chase critters around. And then you know we did uh, swimming, snorkeling, paddle boarding, sea kayak. You know we did we did everything we could do. Played in the ocean in the beaches, barbecues. Um, we just had a great time. Time. And so, yeah, everybody had fun, and then I got to combo in some some bow hunting. So that was a pretty cool cool deal for me.
1: It's crazy because I never thought about it before until I heard you talking about it a lot more on the death hike. And, and you know, I haven't said a ton to my wife about it yet, just because we have so much going on. But I think that's gonna that's gonna be on my radar now. I I think Hawaii would be fun, and from from the sounds of it, those access deer and stuff are not that easy.
0: No, they're really wily and challenging, and um, and, and yeah, it's just like uh, immersing yourself in a different landscape, just like you're doing on Kodiak or on your Doll Sheep or New Mexico. Like it's just a new adventure us bow hunters can have, and and being in Hawaii and that lush green grass that will grow fifteen foot tall, and and sometimes it's eaten down, you know, in, in different trees and nut trees that you've never seen, and then just looking over the bright blue Pacific, and you're out there bow hunting. It's just out of this world. You really feel like you're, you're like you're truly on an adventure. And, and the Axis are just so beautiful. And any time you can hunt a new species, like you get this appreciation for them. Like when I hunt coos, you know, or or when I hunt those axis deer, like they're this spotted deer that's evolved, you know, from 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 india is where it's originally come from so it's evolved from running from tigers bengal tigers chasing it and so it's got really good instincts but you know you just kind of immerse yourself in it and you're glassing these spotted deer and and then you're starting to look at these racks and the bucks are all muscle bound and chasing does around and and their main beams you know it's like a, a deer body with an elk frame on top of it and and then you're starting to judge the main beams and starting to look at mounts different and you just get immersed in it to where you just fall in love with anything you're hunting it's just a new adventure and yeah i gotta go back man it was so much fun so uh when you do get interested let me know and we'll get you some good info on it
1: for sure for sure
0: yep so um well good deal you got a tags in montana you got any oregon tags this year
1: um yeah i drew a a muzzleloader i've never muzzleloader hunted so um, muzzleloader blacktail hunt that's in november and uh, that's kind of here in the local area so a buddy of mine here is going to hook me up, and I'm not even going to buy a muzzleloader. I'm just going to borrow his and, and uh, get out there and try something new. It sounds like <laughs> – it honestly sounds like it's going to be tougher than archery hunting.
0: Oh, man. Uh, how come?
1: Uh, Just shooting a – because they're real traditional. Idaho and Oregon, like I guess, you know, the muzzleloaders here have to be like really, really traditional, and they're very inaccurate because of that.
0: Okay. So real limited range on him then?
1: Yeah, I think he was saying the most he'd feel comfortable shooting his is like 40, maybe 50 yards.
0: Oh, wow. That's really traditional. Okay, you got to get super close. I was thinking like 100 yards.
1: Yeah, not even close. That's, how, that's, that's in another world.
0: <laughs> Man, so it's the old-style powder and ball or something like that? I don't know much about yeah, it.
1: Yeah, it's like a 50-cal ball, I think, is what he uses. and
0: Yeah. Well, and blacktails are tough. I I remember I grew up hunting them in in Western Washington. So, are you hunting them in Eastern Oregon? Because isn't that where you live?
1: Um, I'm in Western Oregon. Okay, in, Western yes, Oregon. that's, that's kind of where I'll be be hunting them here in the Cascades, so probably that same type of country you grew up in.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I used to hunt the Cascades north of you up and through there. Um, It's a fun hunt, and like like we were just talking about, it's going to be this new experience of hunting logged off country and and, uh, skitter roads and then heavy brush, old-growth timber, um alder slides are always good i always love like uh alder openings you know because you could kind of hunt through it and see further but you got to do a lot of still hunting and it it comes down to a lot of instincts too, a lot of feel, like which way you should walk and where you think deer are gonna be and that's what's weird about hunting those those blacktails in that thick stuff is you don't you know, most of the time you don't get to sit back in glass unless you've got like a logged off clear cut or that. You kinda just gotta hunt your way through the forest and read sign and then you kinda walk this direction because you're feeling it or the edge of the alders and then and then all of a sudden you'll bounce into one.
1: Yeah, so that's exactly my, my first year hunting blacktail here was last year. And my buddy Nick and I, we went out on a hunt. And same thing, you know, yeah, you're kind of picking through the brush, and you, you, you just kind of see areas that look a little bit, you know, gameier or whatnot. And we uh, we were doing the rattle, you know, hunting November. And uh, my buddy Nick, he actually rattled in a buck and uh, rattled it in for me. And I don't know if I told you this or not, but I actually shot the – I mean – I missed the buck, but I sh- I shot his antler clean off. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you did tell me that. So, yeah. and you shot it clean off with an arrow.
1: Yeah, yeah, with my bow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! So, uh, so you got the antler then, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I actually uh, I gave it to the guys at Kudu Point. They're the the broadhead guys that you know they they give me some broadheads and and so yeah, I, I gave them the antler to kind of just show off how tough they're their their heads are, because it was funny, I mean, I, I lobbed that right at the main beam, too, I mean, it wasn't like an antler tip, I mean, it was main beam, at right just above the base, and uh, it lobbed that thing clean off, and really, that broadhead, it just barely was bent, kind of in the tip and stuff, where the metal isn't super, super thick, but after that, it was pretty solid, it, I mean, it all held together.
0: Oh, that's wild, that says something about your broadhead, and shooting right through the horn, so what do you think happened on the shot,
1: um it was pretty thick brushy stuff i'd he kind of come in quartering towards me and he put his head down right as i shot and th- i mean that wasn't all but i think that's kind of what he had done he kind of put his head down because he was looking as he was going through the brush and he kind of looked down and anyway he, he did that and, and he actually gave me a second shot because he was so i think he was so dazed like he was just flat out like nick said he thought i'd smoked him cause he said, the deer kind of stopped at 45 yards and got wobbly-legged and and uh, gave me time to take a second shot, and that just, this will show how thick the country is. I, I took my shot, and like literally halfway between me and the buck, I'm, you know, watching the arrow, and I can just see it, just this limb, you don't even, you know, you know how that works, you don't even see him, but it hits this limb, and it just bounces straight up into oblivion. Like, I never even, even looked for that arrow, because it went, went off so far, but. Yeah, that was enough to, once it hit that limb, he kind of woke up and was like, eh, I better get out of (laughs) here.
0: Oh, man. Um, Yeah, those things were so fun growing up, and they're challenging in that thick brush. And it's cool now with your hunting skill to be able to go in there and kill one. So you haven't harvested one yet. You're hoping to harvest your first this year?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. This would still be kind of my first for the, uh, the Columbia blacktail
0: yep so yeah the the sick of blacktails the last one i have left and i was able to harvest a couple Colombian blacktails and um actually my my um second bow kill i'd killed a cow elk and then my second bow kill i killed a, a blacktail buck and i i don't even know how i killed it at this point i didn't have a range finder i had an old hoyt bow that you know when i was a small kid i only weighed 75 pounds 80 pounds about that time and I remember me and my dad, and we went up there, and we could hunt December for those things. And I really want to go back and hunt them again because it's it's such a cool experience. And hunting them so much as a kid, it really brings me back. But I remember we, what did oh he drove up dropped me off on a skitter road and then he came down below and parked the truck and my job was to come down the skitter road and then hunt down through the forest and then where he parked the truck, he was going to walk up the edge of the the timber up and through there and I remember hiking down that skitter road and just kind of still hunt my way down and I had a bow, it was like my second year of bow season and I'd worked – the whole summer building his house and and dad got me a bow for helping him out all summer long on his personal house and and I remember hunting down through there with my bow and I had practiced quite a bit but you know I didn't know any ranges I didn't know rangefinder like I was trying to judge yardage which I'm horrible at nowadays like back then I I can't even guess I don't even know how I did it but I I was hunting down through there and all of a sudden I saw like this 3-point blacktail and he was coming my direction and going to intersect down below me and I I was able to like sneak down and be, get him in between – or trees in between me and him and get some more yardage and try to get to where he was going to come right by me. And he came by me, and I judged him at 30 yards and put just a perfect double lung shot on him like as a as – a, I couldn't have been more than 13, 14 years old. And You're uh,
1: like, man, this is easy. Oh, I really
0: did. I thought it was easy. Yeah, and so um, you know, and I had got my family into bow hunting. So my dad had got a bow, and my uncle had got a bow, and they had always been rifle hunters. But I just had this thing where I wanted to bow hunt. We got better seasons. But yeah, I went down and I found the blood trail, and there was a bunch of blood, and tracked it down, and found it dead. It died. You know, I don't know, maybe less than a hundred yards. And so I came down with my bow dragging a buck, and my dad could not believe his eyes that I had actually killed a blacktail with my bow dragging it down. And and I still to this day – I don't know how I did it, but it just came together, and like you say, it almost felt easy. It felt like it was meant to be. But – yeah, it was way cool. Those blacktails were really fun. I I want to go back and, and hunt them again during that rut season. I like that. And I'd love to go back um and hunt them like in the backcountry, like a high country mule deer in the velvet. I know some high spots up in the Cascades where I think I could find them up there. Man, that would be fun.
1: Yeah. what those They kind of call it like a bench leg or something like that where you kind of might find a mule deer blacktail um type of of deer
0: no not where not where i'm at you know i'm up um let's see the what's that the continental divide trail or there's a trail up there pacific crest trail yeah there you go pacific crest trail it's up by there but no they're pretty much all blacktails in that country i know once you go over top the cascades and get on the east side of the mountains you can find mule deer over on that east side but no we've never seen any mule deer where we hunt they're all blacktails up there oh neat yeah, oh man, it'd be so cool. And yeah. they they just have like those red coloration horns and they're a real dark deer. They've got a lot of black to them. And then they're real stocky too. They're short and stocky, but they still weigh, God, they can still weigh 200 pounds.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so they got kind of that mahogany, kind of that alder stained antler.
0: Oh, exactly. Yeah, that, that red antler. Yeah, you're totally right. That's a good way to describe it.
1: Yeah, those that's that's what's cool about the sickos because they get they get that, man. That that's just the neatest.
0: Oh man, that is so cool! I can't wait to hear about your hunt up there on Kodiak and see some of your pictures. Man, that has always been something I've wanted to do. And and hearing you talk about it and the different different uh, experiences you've had up there, like you actually had one time where you had the the Coast Guard called for you. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So my buddy who teaches survival, um, to the air force people, air force pilots, he's a, he's a SEER instructor, but he's used me as a, a what not to do case in point lesson type of deal <laughs> after that. So, um, not, not one of my brighter moments, but yeah, I had one of them old spot devices and, uh, I had programmed a, you know, or has programmed in already just a three buttons. It has the, okay, the help and, the um, the emergency, like the SOS, that's the one that, um, that one will get you, get you airlifted out of whatever, you know, whatever situation you're in, you're going to have emergency services, but yeah, so we had stayed, well, we were, we were over our pickup point, I honestly don't remember how many days at this point, I think we're day four or five over, and, uh, four or anyway, five,
0: I, four or five days after you were supposed to be picked up because yeah, of our weather nine days. <laughs> oh, wow.
1: So we, I think we were right at like the two week mark or getting pretty close. And, and, uh, the decision was made that cause, so the Island is so big, um, you can get a weather system on one side and not on the other. And where we were at pretty, pretty far South on the Island, we weren't experiencing a lot of weather. So the decision was made like, we're going to press the help button, not the SOS button, but the help button, which goes to, you know, my family and and also friends that I had set up. Um, and I told them, you know, if you get this, call the pilot and tell them to come pick me up. I'm ready to go. Like, if it's early or whatever, that was kind of the the plan. And I, maybe I didn't go over it. I know I didn't go over it well enough. and and uh, And I had too many people, for one, on that help button. I should have just had one responsible person on there. And uh, anyway, so, you know, it just turned into one of those things where a lot of people got really worried and and uh, we were past our pickup point And so they made the call. They they called the Coast Guard and, and they scrambled a mission. And luckily, they never touched down and picked us up. They were flying over the bay as our pilot came and picked us up because he also got radioed and told, yeah, the Coast Guard race scrambled a mission for these guys, and he's like, well, I've been trying to pick up people for the last, you know, two days, they were next on my list, or whatever, you know, and and um, anyway, so when he came, he wasn't too happy, and and uh, I don't know, kind of a, you know, black eye in his book, and and uh, yeah, so lesson learned on that, just be a little bit, have a better plan in place at home, or, you know, like I do now, I have one of those in-reaches where, you know, I could, I can get two-way communication and and make sure everything's pretty clear as to what our our intentions are.
0: <laughs> oh man, that's wild! Yeah, that can happen in Alaska. You know, I know I know my last hunt. I he was two days late picking us up, and we we had satellite communication back and forth. But yeah, that can definitely happen in the weather. You know, I don't. I don't know that the pilot had a right to be all upset. I mean, he was like four or five days late of picking you guys up. Like somebody had to call somebody to make sure you guys were okay. But I'm with you there. Like the better game plan that we can make going out. And you just get smarter as you get older uh, of taking care of these details because you're so young. Go hard you know, and you don't think anything's going to happen. But when stuff goes wrong, if you don't have a good plan in place, and your family doesn't know what to do, everybody starts worrying about you. So I'm I'm with you, I got to be better at that, too. I've really given my wife a, a good game plan of where I'm going to be when I'm supposed to be out. You know, if this happens, I'll contact you. If I don't come out by this day, this is, you know, this is where I'll be or what my game plan is. But I uh, I think we can all learn from that.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was definitely one of those things. I, I'm not shy of talking about it. Because it's, you know, it's nothing really bad came out of it, and it's a, a good lesson learned, you know. Like, definitely make sure, you know, when you leave home that you have some sort of, you know, something for people at home to know where you're at and some way to at least get some sort of plan executed if anything happens.
0: So you guys were um, living on deer meat those last few days, I bet, huh?
1: Yeah, deer meat and detour bars. I don't know if you ever seen those stinking things, but I, I'll never touch them again.
0: Um, <laughs> I'm that way with cliff Bars and guys like cliff Bars, but in, in my younger days, backpacking one time, uh, I decided I was going to live off two um, cliff Bars and then a mountain house at night. And anybody that knows backpacking when you're just burning calories, I just didn't know any better. I hadn't been on many backpacking hunts, and so that was my plan for food. So to this day, I haven't had a cliff Bar in 10 years. There's no way I could touch one of those things. You know, I, yeah. I made myself sick on them.
1: It's kind of like those guys that drink a ton on, you know, they drink something and they can't ever drink it again. It's, that's kind of how I am with the same thing with you and your clip bars. That's how I am with those those detour bars.
0: <laughs> yeah, never again, yeah, for sure. Um, well, really cool, Tyler. I've really enjoyed getting to know you and, and really enjoyed having you on the podcast. So I'm going to check in with you after you get done with these hunts and see how you did. I'd love to have you back on again.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'd love to come back on.
0: Man, you've had some great experiences, and I know you're going to have some great adventures this year. So, um, uh, again, thanks, man. I appreciate it, And, and thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, definitely. Have a good one, Barney. Okay. Alright that's a wrap uh, Another episode in the books uh, Tyler Boshma uh, What a great guy Just uh, I really have fun Every time I sit down And talk with that guy uh, He He's just really passionate About hunting And always planning His next big adventure So I hope you guys Enjoyed today's show uh, Again today's episode Was brought to you By Savage Arms uh, Just super accurate rifles No gimmicks uh, They build some of the best mar- Rifles on the market So make sure to check them out And thanks Thanks to them For sponsoring the podcast Um. And just thank you guys for all the support. Uh, Sure, appreciate it. Uh, Appreciate all the the downloads and follows on social media. And and, uh, I see you guys posting and and helping me out with the podcast, like in your Insta stories and things, mentioning the podcast. And and, and I always want to thank you guys when you reach out to the guests and say, hey, I heard you on Eastman's Elevated. Uh, Thanks for sharing information or thanks for being on or you did good. Uh, it, It just brings so much weight to the podcast when you help me out like that. So we've got a great following and a good thing going with this podcast i just want to continue to get the the best information out to you guys and get the best guests and this hunting season it's kind of allowed me a chance to 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 recharge my batteries and um gosh just um i'm able to kind of pick apart my hunting season and learn lessons and i'm just learning all the time just like you guys and just always trying to get better at, at hunting our public lands and trying to share that information with you guys um, so yeah we're just going to keep growing this thing again thanks for thanks for all the support guys and everything you do and reaching out and and uh, i've seen you guys have been successful this season and and uh, a lot of guys are harvesting a lot of nice animals but you know it's tough out there you see a lot over social media and you see the best success and the biggest animals and and uh, it, it's just tough i mean success with the bow hovers around five to ten percent so um you know it's not easy out there so uh it looks like you guys have been working hard and, and a lot of you guys have seen some success so keep at it the season's not over we're coming into the, the mid to late season and still some good hunting left although I am gonna have to get back to work it's uh it's just been an awesome season I've been able to take a lot of time and hunt with buddies and, and hunt for myself and just a lot of close encounters and like I say able to get that bull down the other day which was just awesome it just persistence is deadly you just uh, keep after him and eventually something comes to. Together and nice six point able to put a good arrow in them and so I, i'm just jacked i mean uh just absolutely awesome so um i'm gonna record a podcast too on on my trials and tribulations for this elk season and uh just some lessons i've learned and um gonna do another maybe a solo podcast or get together with a buddy and kind of talk elk hunting but um It's absolutely awesome, that fun time of the year uh, where we get to be out in the field and, and chasing critters around. So hope you guys are getting some time afield. Keep working hard towards your goals, and I'll check in with you next week.